We are in our second week of our series, The Parents A Warning. And we have gotten into this bad habit of taking the things that the Bible is saying and softening them, making them less true. And I think we need to break that habit, and we need to break it today. So I want to ask you to come with an open mind and to discover in a fresh and honest way what this parable of Jesus is telling us. And there's four truths we're going to learn today. First one is what you make of Jesus while he is gone. What you make of Jesus while he's gone is is what he will be to you when he returns. Second, your loyalty to Jesus is revealed by how you live while he's gone. Third, this free gift of grace that's given to you, if you don't put it to work, it will be taken. The free gift of grace, if you don't put it to work, it will be taken. And then last, the degree that you multiply this free gift is the degree that you are rewarded in eternity. The degree that you multiply the gift is the degree that you are rewarded in eternity. And we're going to see there's three types of people in this parable and what they make of Jesus. And the three types are this. We have the evil citizens. We have the unfaithful faker, and then we have last, the faithful Christian steward. And this parable, it ends unfinished. A lot of Jesus' parables do this. And it's ending unfinished to ask you, which one are you? And will you change if change is necessary? So I'll read these verses for you. Luke 19 11 through 27, it's known as the parable of the menace. Now, a menace is a, an amount. It's a money amount. It's one mina is four months worth of wage. So know that before we start reading. And they heard these things. He proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. In other words, the reason Jesus is telling the story is because he's going to be going away for a very long time. So he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minutes and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that they might know what they had gained by, bus- by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made ten minutes more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful In a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minas. And to him he said, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. 
You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. All right, this parable requires a bit of background. So during this time, here's what you need to know to understand this parable. During this time, if a king was to become king over a city, the emperor had to approve him. And sometimes what would happen is the city would send a delegation to, re- to basically say, we don't want him to be king. So this is exactly what Herod happened with Herod the Great's son. He was the king, but the citizens sent a delegation to the emperor and said, we don't want him king of the city anymore. So he was removed. And it's in this context that Jesus is telling this parable. And so basically what it means is there, there's a nobleman who wants to be king of the city. And he has these servants. And he tells the servants, I'm going to go away for a while. And I'm leaving you with a beautiful free gift, an undeserved gift. And he says to his servants, I want you to use this gift and build my kingdom with it, even while I am gone, and live as if I am the king, even though I am not here, and you have not seen that I have been given the crown. Now, this is a really big problem for the servants, because they're in a predicament. Because at the same time, none of the citizens of the city want this nobleman to be king. So they send a delegation to go and argue to the emperor that this man should not be king. And along with that, it was, it was common for someone like... We lost power? There we go. For, like, for someone for the, like this nobleman to be killed along the way as he's going to, to receive the crown because people don't want him to take the crown. They don't want him to be the king. And so if you're... If servants... Here, Do I need a new microphone? All right, we'll see what happens. So if you're one of these servants, you got to hedge your bets. And to be honest with you, it doesn't look good for this king returning with the crown because the, all the citizens absolutely despise him. Focus in on me. This is so important. These citizens despise him. So the servants have to make a decision. Will we take this money that he's given us and we will, we will, will we put it to work to bring his kingdom while he is gone? Or will we hide it away? Because if they hide it away and he doesn't return, well, that money is theirs. They get to keep it as their own. They won't use it for the kingdom of this king who never returns. So what will they do? Well, we find out the nobleman returns and he's got the crown. And perhaps there's a crowning ceremony that happens on the stage in front of all the city to see. So the first servant, the king calls him. And the servant says, I took your one minna and I turned it into ten minas. Actually, he doesn't say I turned it into. He says, your one minna, your free gift, it did all the work. And it produced ten minas. 
And then he said, the king says to the servant, you have now 10 cities of your own to rule over. There is your gift, your responsibility now. And then to another servant, he turned one minute into five. And so he gave him five cities to, to rule over. But one servant hid away the minna, put it in a handkerchief. And he said, I knew you to be a hard man, so I hid it. And the king says, you knew me to be a hard man? Then you should have done something more with this. And then what happens is that servant, all that he had, this free gift, this beautiful, amazing gift, is taken, gone forever. He doesn't just re receive one city. No, that's taken and the free original gift itself is taken away. And so that brings us to our first point. Christ will be to you what you make of him while he is gone. Christ will be to you what you make of him. The faithful servant, unfaithful servant says to the nobleman who turned king, I knew you to be a hard man, taking what isn't yours, reaping where you don't sow. He couldn't see the gift that the king had given him. He didn't see the generosity of the king. He didn't see the free grace and mercy that the king was offering. Should I try another mic? It's not the mic. Okay. So if, if, if this keeps happening, we're going to all gather up in a circle. And it's going to be like Jesus is really telling a parable. All right? There were no microphones back then. Maybe that's what is happening. I don't know. All right. All this free gift is taken away. Now this brings us to our second point. Our, 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 yeah, we're at our first point. So... You knew me to be a hard man, so I will take this gift from you. Because if you call me a hard man, that is what I will be to you, essentially is what's happening here. So the, this unfaithful servant represents a so-called Christian who is not loyal to the king. And so the gift is taken away. Those who live like they will be rejected by the king in the end are rejected by the king. And this free gift, you can tell that they don't believe in it because it's never being enjoyed. Now, this does not mean whatever you make of the king, he becomes. You can't imagine the king to be a flying spaghetti monster in the sky, and then all of a sudden, magically, that is what you have before you. What this means is he holds all the power in the cosmos, absolutely everything. It's his. He has justice in his hands, and he knows your sin. The Bible talks about the king who has wet his sword against his enemies. So his sword has been wet. And what that means is this should terrify you, yet at the same time, you trust in his grace. You have heard of his gracious character, and you say, I will trust him. I know everything is going to be fine. And so I want to make this real to you. When pain, suffering, trials, when you feel emotionally broken, when you are depressed, and you start wondering where in the world the king is, if he really loves you, if he really cares for you, 
Does he want your good or is he against you? As he wet your sword, wet his sword to be against you. The question becomes, will you trust that in the end, he's a good surgeon who cuts to heal you? Or will you begin shaking your fist at him, turning your back on him, being done with him, saying, I knew you to be a hard man. You offered me no grace when you gave it to others. It's a temptation. Or are you grateful or ungrateful for what you have? I mean, this free gift, it's mercy, it's grace, it's eternal life. It's everything that's been given to you that you don't deserve. Are you thankful for that every single day? And then, and then just for what you have, just to put it in perspective, in the world, if you live in America, you are in the top 1%. We live in one of the greatest empires there has ever been. And the world today provides for us more than it has in the past. Do you recognize that? And if you aren't, it's probably because you're comparing yourself to other people around you. Measuring yourself by what is happening with other people. There's, Jesus tells a very similar parable to this in Matthew. Only the difference is the servants receive different amounts in the beginning of the parable. And there's a strong temptation that you would have to say, God, you gave them so much more than you gave me. I'm a better person than they are. What are you thinking, God? You know, this is at the place where you be, you're at a crossroads. And, and the, what you're wrestling with is, does God know you better than you know yourself? Does he know that if you had all of these riches, that those riches would corrupt you? You have to pause and reflect and ask that question. Does he know you better? If you had fame that you want so badly and received it, would it destroy you? Trust the king. It's the hard and difficult road that says, by faith, God, I have no idea what's good for me. But I'm going to trust that you are a good king. And you say, here I am. Do with me whatever you want. That's someone who trusts the king. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to walk up to him now today and say, do with me whatever you want, knowing that that might not be what you want? Trust the king. Because if you don't trust him, what's going to begin to happen is he's not going to give you the things that you want all the time. And then you will begin to resent him. And then anger will stir in you. And as that anger stirs in you, you begin saying things about him like he is a hard man. He is a hard God. And then at his return, he says, you call me a hard man. That is what I will be. So what should you make Christ out to be? Well, I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You got to go to the Bible and you got to let the, Bi the words of the Bible speak louder than the doubts that are in your heart. And that's a faith position. 
the trials, the tests, the fire that you are going to go through are going to make you want to doubt. And you have to put more focus, more energy, more power to the words of the Bible than those that are bouncing around in your head and your heart. So what does the Bible tell us about this gift? Well, open up the Bible and this gift, the question is, are you enjoying it? So you open up the Bible and, and you look. And what you're going to find when you open the Bible is it's a collection of books and, songs and, and stories about people who have called God a tyrant and wanted to be out from underneath his rule and reign. He wanted to be their father, and they turned him into a tyrant. Yet time after time, God returned to offer his hand of grace. So we are like the citizens who sent the delegation and said to the emperor, we do not want him to be the king. And we took his hands and we nailed him to the cross. And upon that cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's like we're in this burning building and we have started the fire and we're backed up into a corner and in charges our good and gracious king. And he comes in and we say, get out of here. It's your fault that I'm in here. God's people, they have this evil king named Pharaoh ruling over them. God sends plagues to get rid of this king. He parts the sea to set them free. And then the sea closes over their enemies. And then they're in the wilderness and they say, God, it was better for us to be back under the rule of that Pharaoh than you. In the book of Hosea, God tells us what it is like to be our God. And he compares us to a prostitute. And he tells this prophet named Hosea to go and marry a woman who was a prostitute. And he says, she's going to be unfaithful to you. And she's going to take pleasure in her unfaithfulness. And he says, love her still, because that's what it's like to be me. And then she finds herself having given over herself over so much that now she is in the marketplace being sold as a sex slave. And she's standing there naked. And there are no bids coming in because nobody wants her. And then in comes the king who says, I want her. And I will pay for her with my life. His grace knows no bounds. And his mercy reaches as deep and as wide as the ocean. And his love goes across all the earth. And he left his home, country, to make his home here with us. And then he is risen and he is now ascended to his father in heaven. The emperor, you might say. And he has been crowned. And we are simply now waiting for his return. And when he makes his way down from the heavens, he will bring heaven with him. And heaven and earth will be united together. And every little bit of pleasure that you have longed for will be yours forever. More than you can imagine. Joy unspeakable. And every day will be better than the last. And there will no longer be hurting, death, or pain all wiped away. 
and everything bad that has happened will be reversed and undone. A place that's better than Eden because it can't be lost. That's the free gift. And it makes life blossom around you. But at some point, your chance of acknowledging and seeing this truth comes to an end. And whatever you make of the king will be what he is to you. Call him a hard man and you will find him a hard man. Call him a tyrant and he will be a tyrant to you. And you will say, see, I told you. I've been telling everybody I know what you are. You're a tyrant. But really, that is your pride. That's making you say, I would much rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Because the idea of you having a master and being a servant, ugh, you say. But those we see who are loyal say this gift that you have given me. They don't say, look what I did with the gift. They say, look what your gift did. Look at what your free gift of grace and mercy did. Look at what your free gift of salvation did. They don't even claim it as their own, but they claim it as the work of him. The gift of him that, they, that was given did the work. You're the source of life and growth. And that brings us to our next point, those who are faithful. They're putting the gift to work. So to be a faithful servant is to go public about your loyalty to the king who has not yet returned. But you know when he does, he will carry a crown. You go public and say, I am one of these crazy Christians who believes that we have a king who will return. And you're mocked, maybe. Maybe you're looked down upon, but you can smile all the way through it because you know you have faith, you have not doubted, he will return. And, and not only that, you go into the world carrying authority and power. You're not just receiving this gift. You're receiving a commission from the king to live as if you are a servant of the king while he is not yet here. And so your mindset becomes when you go out into the world, everything that you do that is done to build his kingdom will echo on into eternity. No good thing that you do for him in this world will be wiped away, but it will live through the fire, you might say. It will not crumble. And you can look for all of eternity at the things that you have done here on this earth to bring his kingdom. That's a gift. Now the, now the question becomes, what are these cities that we are given if we're faithful with gift. And the answer, I believe, is when you look back at the original commission that God gave to Adam and Eve in humanity, he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. These are words that are given to kings. And the original commission was this. Here's Eden. You're in it. 
Now take Eden and make it cover all the ends of the earth. Work until it's done and it is a good work. And then so Eden is lost. So now, look, we have this recommissioning where we are told to do what? Build Eden while he is gone. So what does it look like then if we're going to do this, if you're going to really do this, and this, this talk of you having power and authority, what does that mean? Well, Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, he says that the meek will inherit the earth. So we have inheriting the earth, like ruling over a city, and it's the meek. Now, what does it mean to be meek? It does not mean that you're weak. I want to give you an example of something, someone that is meek. You take a professional boxer or an MMA fighter. They walk into a bar. They sit down. Somebody next to them is plastered. They're trying to pick a fight with this MMA fighter. The MMA fighter knows he could destroy this fool that's sitting next to him. But he keeps his hands in his pockets because he has nothing to prove. He already knows what he is. He already knows what he can do. He could bring destruction upon this person, but he keeps his hands in his pocket to bring peace, even to this fool. That is what those who are meek are. It means you walk around knowing you have the power and authority given to you from the king above. But you don't use that power for your gain, but to bring his kingdom. Anything you do, you ask, does this bring the kingdom of God? You have the power of heaven in you. So you bring heaven now. And you hold the swords of heaven, but you don't use them to, to destroy. You use them to heal. And you wear them as marks of the king upon you. And so you imagine yourself a bit like a warrior of the king. The kind of warrior that people don't mess with. But you don't use that strength to hurt the world, but to heal it. Those are the kind of people that inherit the earth. But with this free gift comes with responsibility. And if you will live into that responsibility, then in eternity, more responsibility will be given to you. This is the same idea where the Bible says, if you manage your household well, you are then given the opportunity to lead. If you are faithful with a little bit, much more will be given because you can be trusted with it. Entitlement is a big problem. Many people, many of us, probably all of us, think we deserve one of these cities. Or we think we don't deserve anything. We should not be ruling over cities if we can't manage our life and our household. We complain about our leaders as if we can do better, but our lives are a mess. We have a lot of opinions about how our nation should be run, but look at our households. They look a mess. If you want to rule cities, be faithful 
with the free gift of grace and mercy that's been given to you. And he will reward you and give you responsibilities. And if you don't take the responsibility of this free gift, I mean, it's a gift of power. And something has meant to be done with it. And if you don't do anything with it, even that free gift will be taken. If Christ appeared before you right now, this is an important question. If Christ appeared before you right now, what would you show him? What have you built? Do you parent as someone who has power and authority? Now, what does that mean? Well, you take the power and authority that you have been given to go then build the kingdom of God and you hand it off to your children. Yes, you need to protect them to some degree, but at some point, these children need to be able to face the evils of this world and you must prepare them for that. We are overly protecting our children today and what we need to be doing more of is preparing them for what is to come. They will one day move out of the house. We have to prepare them for that day. Which means we hand off this power and authority to them and we teach them how to face the evil that is before them. Do you walk into your workplace with power and authority that's been given to you from the king? Because if you do, here's what happens. You are no longer ruled and tempted into doing things you shouldn't be doing by the thought of a raise or by the thought of a promotion or by the thought of a new title, by the thought of new riches. Because you have all the riches of heaven, and so you cannot be manipulated into doing things you know you shouldn't do. Do you look at your bank account as a mina, a mina that's been given to you? Everything that you have, he has given to you, and it's his. And you are to be stewards, managers of all that he's given you. How are you using it? Take your talents, the things that you're good at, the things of why you have the job that you have. You know, one of the first places the spirit of God is given to somebody is to those who are building this temple of God in the wilderness. Do you know what that means? That means like the gifts of what you do, your talents, those are gifts from God for you to use for his kingdom, not for you to use for yourself and your own glory and your own fame and your own riches, but to take them and say, you gave me the gift. How am I going to use it? What do you have to show if the king returns today? Because one day you'll have to give an account. This is the day of judgment. So last point, last thing I'm going to say. The idea of a judgment day, it will make you look at God very poorly. It will make you look at Christ poorly. Or the idea of a judgment day will give you joy. Why is that? Well, think about it. If you know one day you're going to have to give an account, it means you're going to, and, and you're going to have to give an account specifically for how you've built the kingdom of God. It's going to make you say, I need to wake up to this. I need to get to work. But it, you know what it also does? It tells you, you know exactly what you need to do with your life. Build the kingdom of God. So you begin building. And as you begin building, you wake up in the morning and you have something to wake up to, a purpose, a meaning. 
And well, when you have a purpose and a meaning, that gives you joy. So the day, this idea of a day of judgment should give you joy because it's going to propel you to do something good and meaningful. But it's also a warning. The way you live your life is a mirror to what you think of the king. The citizens made him their enemy. And they're about to be slaughtered, it says, if they don't change. The unfaithful servant, he, he has grace in his hands and it's taken away because he didn't put the grace to work which meant he was never truly loyal to the king. And if you're being faithful, it says you will enter into the joy of your master and receive a great reward. And this ending of this parable, it's not actually an ending. It's a dot, dot, dot. It's, it's saying, make a decision. Which one will you be? And if there are changes in your life that you need to make, make them now and don't wait and delay. Because you don't know when he will return. So you have to look at this king and you have to look at what he's done and let that motivate you into action. So let's look at him. Jesus is the nobleman who went to the emperor to be judged in your place. And he died in your place. Don't waste his death on the cross. Build his kingdom and receive your reward. Let me say one thing real quick about rewards. Because you might be thinking, yeah, but if there are rewards, doesn't, doesn't that mean I don't know if I'm doing anything with a pure motivation? Let me tell you something about this world. It will throw enough at you to test your heart. Don't worry about that. There's going to be plenty of reasons for you to doubt the coming king. Believe. Jesus is the nobleman who descended into death and rose up out of death. Do not waste the resurrection. Build his kingdom and receive your reward. And today he is gone. He has ascended to the father, to the emperor, you might say. And he has been crowned. But we are waiting for his return. Kingship is his, and like the nobleman's servants, we are waiting for his return. We're eager for it because we're so excited to show him what we've been doing with all the gifts, this gift of free grace that he's given us. And if you aren't excited to show him all that you have done for him, that means you have a lot to think about. Let's pray. Father, let us hear this as not just a warning, but as something we can look forward to. That the hard work we do for you will be rewarded, whatever that might look like. That we're not just endlessly toiling here for something that will mean nothing, but we are working because 
we know you will give us a gift. And God, until that day when you do return, when you bring heaven upon the earth, we pray that you would give us faith that is beyond what we thought we could have. That we would no longer live a normal life, but we would be a normal person going off into some adventure. An adventure to build your kingdom. Make us bold, make us courageous, and make us take this gift of mercy and grace and salvation and use it to build your kingdom. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.